0: Hello, oh, hello, and welcome to another episode of Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. The smoothest glass of amberula for your mind, available in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm half of your host, Nicholas Varna. And i
1: uh, the other half of your hosts,
0: Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> you hello. should do that voice more often, Gabriel. <laughs> our <laughs> listenership will go up tenfold. <laughs> so... I think both of us are a bit... Um, I don't know. In it, in, in, in not a, not, not, not our. Uh, we're not on top form at the moment. It is. We are doing this on Thursday rather than Friday because it is uh, Easter weekend. So happy Easter to all of those celebrating.
1: Yeah. Well, sad, um, sad Easter Friday. Happy Easter. Uh, yeah. Well, and it's come. And all
0: that. Look, I mean, there's a there's a there's a whole philosophical debate about whether Friday is sad or not because it's about all this triumph and uh, you know whatever, and it's like the redemptive. Act. But let's 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 not get okay, sidetracked. We're going right. to leave
1: the theology uh, for <laughs> next next week. We're going to unpack uh, the meaning of the year. But,
0: uh, I, I think I think we we'll need to have our colleague Herman Pretorius on the show for, to to give a. I don't know, because neither of us is a Christian, so I think it would be important to have a Christian's outlook on that. Um, but anyway, uh, that's not that's not the uh, the important point. The important point is that both of us, I think, are a bit um, not on top form. And uh, we had some topics today that were a bit heavy. Um, so we're going to start off with the big story from, from last week, which was uh, the stuff about Ace. But uh, let me just apologize to our listeners for us not having an episode last week. It was my fault. I was moving house, um, and I've now moved house, and everything is all good and peachy. Um, but uh, I was exhausted last week, so that's why we didn't have a show. Uh, anything to add before we, before I introduce us and kick off the topic?
1: Um, no, I'm just. Uh, I'm, it's it just started raining, which not very loudly, so that won't interrupt the sound, but it's very pretty. And gloomy yes. outside, and I feel like the topics we're getting into are bit pretty and gloomy. So the first one is the big story, right? Right. Which Ace is, is, uh,
0: is 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 uh, I mean, what what, what was what was yeah, what was the description? All the media headlines were some variation of "Ace on the ropes," "Ace uh, reaching the end of the line," "Ace doomed," and it poses a, a, a question, which is. So, Ace Markashule has now 30 days he's been uh, to, to to step down, apparently, because the uh, ANC's National Executive Committee agreed on a resolution that anyone who has sort of serious charges of corruption against them needs to step down from their position in the ANC. Um, so, the real question here is, is he actually going to go in 30 days? They've given him 30 days. Now, I don't know why they've given him 30 days, because they took a resolution, which is that you need to step down. And... It's not like anything's going to change in the next thirty days. No, to, but it, no, but something to... will
1: change. I think it's an interesting thing about South African politics is that is that in some ways things do work better if you go slowly. Like oh, I, fair enough. <clears throat> I had this experience when uh, when I went to Lesotho. I've only been to Lesotho once as an adult, and suddenly everything was slower, and I'd gone from. You know, from like the Eastern Cape <laughs> to Lesotho, Situ- and you couldn't really tell the difference. Everyone looked the same. The housing looked the same, or you know, right. the, the nature looked the same. People looked the same. Um, the if anything, it just got more beautiful, but it definitely got slower. And then I, I got into a traffic jam in Lesotho's third largest city, which only has one <laughs> intersection. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but that's that's a common feature of all uh, all of rural SA and Lesotho and Swaziland. Um, no, I remember also, being entirely Lusikisiki, which has got like one big street, and you're in a traffic jam for twenty minutes when you try to drive through it.
1: Yeah, dude. And the thing, amazing thing was, like, part of the reason there was a traffic jam is because there was traffic light. It was the only traffic light like outside of Masiru. <laughs> and and the power was out, so the traffic light wasn't working. So literally after forty five minutes, we were about to run out of petrol. Uh because we were oh no. pretty low already and we we're stuck in the traffic jam. So we pulled over and went in to to, to some place to try and get some advice. And out came this woman who I suppose because of the accent I'm about to portray, I, I should I should clarify was black, who said, Oh eh, no, you mustn't worry too much. The the power in the is very sporadic, but it always comes back <laughs> <laughs> in good time, young man, in good time, she said when I asked her when and she said yeah i've 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 WhatsApp my friend in in the capital, and uh they do have power there, so it's not a national failure. Just <laughs> <laughs> like a wonderful woman dripping in jewels like running some department she was great um it was a wonderful thing and if you had a conversation about T. S. Eliot for like half an hour which you could only do and i think it's generally like an urban versus rural thing i think the more rural you get the slower things get the more urban you get the most urbanized places i've been in operate much quicker and south african politics sometimes it just seems like 30 days why do you need 30 days because you mustn't rush it nicholas because everyone must think about it,
0: so, feel it, so and look. I, I get that. I get. I get that argument. I do. And feel um, it. And and I think I think there is a lot of value in taking things slowly. I, I I generally agree with that point. I'm just not sure on this issue because remember remember this is exactly what Romo Porsa said about Zuma and going before the Zondo Commission. He said no 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 no. Let Zuma have some time to think about his decision to defy the judiciary and, you know, consider the consequences of his actions. No one's going to arrest him. No one's putting that on the table. And then the weeks came and they passed and Zuma's not done anything different. In fact, we're not even talking about it anymore. So it's very easy for that to happen just as easily as uh, you know, uh, the the weight builds on him, and eventually he decides to do the right thing or to do the thing he has to do because of the political circumstances.
1: That's a very good point, Nick. It is a worry. So, I think um, there's a nice analogy which I'm crib noting straight from Franz Crenier. Uh, and he's and he's told this he's, told this he's told the story a few times to me over the years and is now using it in something that will come out next week. So, I'm being a bit cheeky and anticipating him, but it's just such a wonderful story that I think our listenership doesn't overlap and uh and they might like to hear so it's the, it's the it's the parable of Saint George okay and the dragon right now this is a this is a true fairy tale okay in 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 the sense that it's it's a fairy tale that we didn't make up. And it goes like this. There's this little town and this wonderful bucolic place. And much like, I don't know, rural Texas, everyone speaks very slowly, and lives wonderfully. Then a dragon comes down and burns a few of their houses. And the people say, oh, no, oh, no, don't do that. And the dragon says, well, if you give me some of your money, then I won't burn down your houses. And so the people give their little gold trinkets and their rings in their, and their uh, bracelets. And then after a year, the dragon says, well, I need a little bit more money. And so the people give their coins and they melt down some of their equipment. And the dragon says, I need a little bit more money. And the people don't really want to give, can't really give up any more right. metal. So the dragon says, I'll take human sacrifice. And the people say, okay, there's this terrible lady we don't like. You can have her. And the dragon says, no, I want your princess. Of
0: course. It has to be something valuable.
1: (laughs) So the people give up their princess because it's like either they give up the princess or the whole town gets burnt down and everyone dies. Right. And the dragon puts the princess in a lair. And the thought is that the dragon is like the the r- r- radical economic transformation faction of the ANC. <laughs> and the town is South Africa. And the princess is like constitutionalism and rule of law, <laughs> and proper reform, and all that kind of stuff. So we've, we've given all of that up. The RET faction took it away, took our wonderful princess and put it in the tower, put it in the dungeon. Enter... Gallant St. George, the dragon slayer, St. Right. Cyril himself, who rides <laughs> along on his horse and goes and kills the dragon and returns the princess, and the town rejoices and everyone lives happily ever after. Right? right.
0: Wrong,
1: wrong, dude. That is not how the fairy tale goes. You show woeful
0: <laughs> ignorance
1: of <their>
0: fairy tale. <laughs> Hey, I'm not omnipotent about the Middle Ages, okay? I know a lot more about the shape of villages.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And the sort of agrarian economy.
0: Yes, (laughs) yes. How they survived
1: the siege by real hearts. Okay, but so the point is, the point of of the fairy tale, as it was told, was that Gallant St. George actually wasn't all that much of a dragon slayer. He was a rather vain poser and knew that as long as the princess was around, then everyone would like the princess, and her true prince would return, and you know, he would just be another chump in armor. But while the princess <laughs> is gone, St. George is everyone's idea of a dragon slayer, because he's placed these rumors very well that only he knows the secret to killing the dragon. <laughs> he is sure to do it tomorrow, or in 30 days, or in no. 180 days, or
0: he Just can, keep paying for his 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 bar tab in the meantime.
1: <laughs> yeah. So as we go along, all of the all of the theatres entertain him for free, and the bars, and the, he can really do what he wants. And everyone says what a wonderful fellow he is. He can hardly walk. He's sort of carried around the town wherever he goes. <laughs> shoulders and faces of adulating crowds. And. And and But there is this problem that, you know, after a while, the crowd starts getting a little bit irritated. It's getting a bit poor. You know, after all, oh. they've, they've had to give away a lot of their metal, and they really do miss their princess. And they say, Gallant St. George, it's been since December 2017.
0: Are you we, sure you can't speed up the process yet because it's going no, on a bit?
1: Because we do talk real slow here in the town. <laughs> but <laughs> even we... Notice the seasons come and the seasons go. <laughs> and there have been four winters since you done promised spring. And the grand new <laughs> dawn, the sun rising on a half of town. And it ain't come to be yet. How many more springs we going to have unsprung? And so Galen St. George has this terrible problem. He has to kill the dragon, but he can't kill the dragon because uh, it's going to ruin his whole game. Yeah,
0: Then, then they don't need George St. George anymore.
1: Saint George anymore. Yeah so he goes and he cuts off the dragon's ear and the dragon by the way has by this stage in the story become so old and decrepit and toothless that even though it flails about <laughs> it can hardly damage st george
0: who's it's hardly affected
1: by the people's love but could blow out real fire but that would only end up destroying the dragon himself and so the dragon right. doesn't even fight as hard as it can you know it it tries fighting a little bit and it is very upset but it kind of uh, Loses and it's like, okay, I'll survive another day and you'll survive another day. And and St. George goes back with his bloody hands and this flap of ear and shows it to the crowd. And they say, oh, what a has hero. Sprung. It's a new dawn again.
0: Another four years of free stuff.
1: <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it's just like a fairy like tale, that it doesn't have any bearing. <laughs> Like everything we do it has no connection to South african politics at all
0: i I do like that analogy, and i think I think there is definitely some truth in it um the the princess there's no evidence that the princess exists uh, <laughs> that we've seen the princess is a myth and and that 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 means that there really is while St George is running the show there is no Fixing the dragon problem. There is no fixing the the anything problem, really.
1: Yeah, Nick, this is your this is your overwhelming pessimism. No, I do think. <laughs> my, look, my my serious position has been, and I've written about this in the Sunday Times a few uh, on a few occasions. I I think that Ramaposa <laughs> is the. It does most, sound like a
0: Hubble brag. I will just say.
1: <laughs> well, look, dude, I've just I've just. On, on on our podcast, I've just spent fifteen minutes putting on accents and telling a fairy tale. So <laughs> I do want the listeners to know that I'm a proper person on on the eve of this public holiday. Who's worth listening to? <laughs> I'm a bit. There's a method to the madness here. Look, my my position um, has always been that Ramaphosa's strength is underestimated the most by his fans and champions. Right. And he, you know, the ANC's got this weird electoral college system, which is very unrepresentative of its actual... It's It's got nothing like an American system where, you know, the people who are actually going to vote in the election can vote for the candidates. And so you really do get the most popular candidate for the one party and the most popular one for the other party. It's not like it. The ANC election is decided by 5,000 people. And they and they really—it's a yeah. secret ballot. And they're, chosen,
0: have, and they're chosen by completely Byzantine processes that are impenetrable to outside and are laced with corruption and special favors and patronage.
1: And impenetrable from the inside. I mean, the ANC itself oh. couldn't predict who... It's just it's it's a very <laughs> yes. no one understands it. Um, uh, you you could describe it, but but it's 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 it's, it's not what we call in political science. Um, Preference-responsive. It doesn't yes. respond to the preferences of the people that it's supposed to be representing. And so, in the, on the eve of the Ramaphosa and Coetzee and zuma election, the biggest polls in the country, I mean, in the history of this country, were showing Ramaphosa six to eight times more popular than Dlamini-Zuma amongst ANC supporters, even more so amongst the right. country at large. So he's been the most popular character. Uh, in South African politics for a very long time. He's still very popular. More popular than the ANC. All the things that have happened. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got all those cards in his deck, and all he needed to do was win the election by one vote of those 5,000, and then he would get the extra benefits of power. We like to distinguish between prestige, Mm. which is what he had, power, which is the ability to coordinate violence and property. He's also the richest dude in politics by a long way. So he was the richest, he was the most popular, and then he got the power, the power to hire and fire, the power to redirect the patronage network, the
0: power to... Usually described as the power of incumbency.
1: Exactly. That is the classic term. So then he had all three, and there's just no one to match him. So I said, this guy's very powerful, and and all his fans say, look, he's doing terrible things, but it's because he's got his arms tied behind his back, and he's not powerful. And I was like, this is crazy. You you're his, literally his fans and you're missing out on the on the fundamental facts of the man. Now I'm not saying that his power is unconstrained, no one's is, and I'm not saying that he didn't have serious um Challenges. He, he has proper enemies within the ANC on a, on a Right, factional as basis. as was noted
0: Right, as was noted at the time, uh the Zuma slate won most of the positions um at at uh, the, the the elective conference except his. So his sort of top lieutenants are all trying to stick daggers in his back, or at least were originally. Exactly. It's not clear exactly. how many of them are still trying to put daggers in. So, so uh, you
1: know, th- th- the main thing that he needed to do was use his power of incumbency to appoint not only a public prosecuting authority, but also a cabinet and and people downstream of that in the criminal justice system that would co- sort of follow the law to the letter and, and prosecute people based on copious amounts of evidence which had been freely gathered by the media, which is, you know, in the way that you and I have, you know, in the way that private South Africans have private security, if they can afford to not rely on the police, uh, for the really <laughs> big crimes, we've also outsourced the investigative functions to the media who yes. don't figure it out, then they give you the evidence and it's all been very not, nice. And not even it. most of the
0: media. It's, it's like a relatively small group actually that actually do the, the proper yeah. research. Yeah. My, my view on on most of the big media houses is that they're essentially publishing houses for ANC factions. Yes. Like IOL publishes, RET... Uh, uh, propaganda, and Media24 publishes Ramaphosa propaganda, and there's very little depth to anything they say. They just get a tip-off from a friend in one of those factions, and then they just publish that as fact.
1: Yeah, and then in between you have human interest stories that are fascinating. Um, yes, which can be fun. <laughs> so, 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 but the point is, um,
0: the,
1: the it's been my view that Ramaphosa could do this. So I'm one of the guys who correctly called that if Ramaphosa wants to ask Ace, he will whip the votes in Parliament. And this is what's come to be. Now, the challenge is to people who've supported Ramaphosa. Um,
0: well, hold on, hold on, hold on. You say it's come to be. Can, can we say that for sure? Will Ace be gone in 30 days?
1: No. What What is for sure... Is that Ramaphosa was able to whip the votes on opening an inquiry into Buziswe uh, Mkhubane, the public protector, right. and that that, is a she, big deal. that he and she is was an Azuma appointee and has been critical of Ramaphosa and has been investigating him and sort of people on his side of the faction. Right, and so it seems like a kind of political interference thing. I, For it to go through, people have to be persuaded enough of the evidence, which they all should be, because the Courts have all f- have found severally that yeah. she is incompetent, so, but also they need to get past the political issue, which was made even more extreme by the fact that the DA tabled a motion. Right, With was all exactly of that was stacked against say. them, they still um, managed to pass it. That shows right. that Ramaphosa can whip the votes. He's got the right. power in parliament to get the reforms that he wants driven through. If he really wanted to, he could right. by like, the same getting- process.
0: Getting the ANC to vote on a DA motion, I I don't know if people quite grasp how much, how insane this is for normal practice. Like, the DA can propose, uh, you know, a Hugging Puppies Day, like something that is completely inoffensive and loved by everyone. And the ANC will vote it down very aggressively and then reintroduce the same thing three weeks later under their own name. And then everyone will hug the puppies, and it sounds great, right? <laughs> it's a system, so it's a slow system. <laughs> so getting, so getting the, 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 the ANC to vote on a in favour of a DA motion is, I think, a very big deal, and it shows that he has quite a lot of uh, oomph. Yes. So,
1: so, so this matters, and I, I and I am saying between this and the motion that a says thirty days basically. Uh, Whether it comes to pass or not These are two ear flaps Which prove that St. George can climb into the lair And cut the dragon A little bit here and a little bit there Right And come back and show all the people And they go hurrah And this makes life more difficult I mean obviously Ace is worried He says he's not stressed But you know He's got to figure out how he survives How he doesn't put
0: Some, someone who's not stressed doesn't on. go out and give a speech in Soweto about how they will die in the ANC. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so so there are people on that side that are stressed. But the people on Ramaphosa's side that are, are, I think, stressed in a more interesting way. Because they've been saying, look, our guy's great, things haven't been going great, because he doesn't have the power. And now that he's shown that he has the power, now that he's shown he can, he does have a little knife and he can get in there and he cut off a dragon's ear. They now have to find uh, ways of continuing to call him the great dragon slayer, even while the great dragon lives. Only slightly, slightly injured. Um, and I think that this is going to be an interesting story to follow. If they, it might be, I suspect that this might be a period building up from now to the municipal election at the end of the year, in which there are more leaks that are substantial coming out of the Ramaphosa faction to point to particular ways in which his hands have been tied, Uh, you know, and, and tied maybe by silk cloth that he could have really snapped, but, (laughs) but, but tied indeed, you know, and, uh, and, and not in the sort of abstract and fairy tale and uh, allegorical terms that I'm putting it, but in quite precise terms, look, here's this person who did this, to do that, to stop this thing from going forward, which most South Africans wanted. And if that is the case, we will be uh, lurching towards uh, personnel reform at a glacial pace. Uh, right. And and that is a good thing. I mean, I think it really is better to be lurching toward. I think it's better to be going towards firing some bad guys than it is... Right. There's, there's always way. benefit...
0: In, in, in some change of regime, even at, at a, in a small sense. I mean, you know, uh, when you bring in new people, when you get rid of old people, it shakes up the tree a bit. You disrupt the passionate network somewhat. People people begin to think, you know, maybe there's not this inevitability to everything. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is good. Um, it's not always enough, but no. it's probably better than the alternative. Yeah. Well, so
1: the bad side is I was trying to distinguish between personnel and, and policy. And when it comes to policy, St. George and the Dragon have both been of one mind, which is to keep the princess locked away. So I'm really on St. George's side when it comes to personnel. Um, but when it comes to policy, I think St. George and the Dragon are, you know, they're, they're actors in the same play who need each other.
0: No, I think I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that. Um I do, I do wonder though whether this will be. I think, I think the battle is not quite over yet. And the problem that the ANC has now is just that it's so. Ramaphosa does have all the tools to unite it, um, at least as far as anyone can. It's just, you know, he's taken so long to get rid of what is a seeping, uh, a weeping sore spot on the other on the other team, which is which is AC. I mean, he's so vulnerable. You know, he's got, like, these very credible allegations against him. He's not, outside of the free state, he hasn't shown, I think, an enormous amount of political acumen. Um, He's been, like, a fellow traveller of more powerful and strategically intelligent people. So, I think that uh, even if Ace goes, it's not necessarily the end of the factionism for for Romopausa, but mostly because I think Romopausa just doesn't have quite the... Even though he has the cards, he doesn't have the skill to play it. Does it make sense? Yeah. My way of putting I I think that's a
1: very good way of putting it. My, I think that most, uh, he, he has an interesting question about Ramaphosa that you can try out at any party. One day there will be parties again uh, and try this one out. Who do you think is going to succeed him? It's just a question. And mm-hmm. I don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. No one knows the answer. But it's, it right. doesn't mean you can't think about it.
0: Uh, Speculate wildly, yes.
1: <laughs> and and the reason I say this is because I arrived back in South Africa in twenty fourteen after having lived in America for just about six years. And coming from the outsider's perspective, you know, as a South African, but someone who hasn't lived here for six years, I left when Zuma basically came to power. Right. When Zuma and Becky were duking it out, and uh Zuma came to power and I came back and it was like it's sort of amazing that he was still there. You know, in America, things <laughs> yes. seemed to change. And, you know, we were glad that Barack Obama got in. But then things changed. The The House and the Senate went to the Republicans. And then things changed again in the 2012 election. There was a further right. redistribution
0: of power. It, it felt like there was a dramatic earthquake every week. And yes. South Africa, it was the same thing
1: yeah. again. And yeah. again and again. And so I was like, guys... You know, you guys are having literally the same conversations around the dinner table that I've that I've come across every time I've come back for a little holiday. And also the same thing you're talking about in 2008. So here's my question. What is the next change going to be? Who is going to be the next president after Jacob Zuma? And it was amazing how everyone refused to answer it. They say, oh, I don't know. And they say epistemic humility, like we can't be sure. And I say, dude, I'm not asking you to say for sure. I'm asking you precisely in a probabilistic way. Who do you think is the most likely, least likely? Also, separate question, who's the most desirable? That's not a prediction. That is a, right. That's that's something play. you should be able to answer, yeah. And especially on the most desirable, no one would ever answer that. A little bit like, you know, sometimes in American elections, when you get close to the election, when we get guests speaking to us from America, we ask them, who do you think should be president? Like, who are you going to vote for? And then they won't answer that. They'll tell you, like, who they think's going to win and who they think is going to lose. Yeah. They, won't, <laughs> they won't tell you. But in 2014, no one that l- literally, with the exception of one or two people, and this was my party trick, like, for years, I'd ask. And and even when people did start saying names, they would never say Ramaphosa's name. And it was so weird, either when on the prediction or on the ought, right. who should it so, so be. Say, because he was deputy president. That- president.
0: This, yeah, let me say that this wasn't entirely universal. I um, know I remember the day of the what is it, the twenty twelve election uh, ANC conference when Motlante got trashed by Zuma. Yeah, and Cyril was elected as deputy uh, deputy president of the ANC, and he received the most votes as in a percentage term, I think, because he was against a weak opponent. And I remember people calling in to. <laughs> To 702 and asking. But he got more votes. So can't he be the president instead of the ANC? <laughs> yeah. So there was there was a hankering out there for, yeah. for some Ramaphosa. No, but what I'm trying to say is that I would then say
1: at the dinner party, but what about Sir Ramaphosa? You know, after all, he's the deputy president. And it does sometimes happen that the deputy president of the ANC and the country (laughs) then becomes the president of the ANC in the country I'm not saying it's inevitable but it has happened so it's a possibility (laughs) a bunch of times yes (laughs) and we've talked about this for an hour can't we just talk about wouldn't it maybe be good for president for Sir Ramaphosa to become the next president and then everyone would look at me as if I just come up with the wheel (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) my goodness you've discovered the answer (laughs) And they'd say, that's fascinating. I'd never thought of that, literally. And I'm talking about people who – one of them went on to run a state-owned enterprise. <laughs> I'm talking about board members of some of the biggest you know, I think, companies I think in be the country. To-
0: I think you're beginning to reveal why the country's in such a mess. <laughs> and not just in government either. A lot of corporates of Africa is just as much of a mess. <laughs> in slightly different ways to government. But... <laughs> but what was perfectly obvious to me is
1: that I hadn't given them the idea. They had the idea, but they were too afraid to say it. They were right. almost too afraid to even admit it to themselves. <laughs> and the reason is, the more you liked Ramaphosa before he became president... If you said, oh, no, I really want Ramaphosa to be president, if that's how you started, then someone would say, well, if you think he's such a good guy, what do you think he's doing right now to save the country from state <laughs> capture? And that's the right. question you wanted to avoid, is you thought there has to be this hypocrisy. He has to go along with everything so that he can get the power, so that he can make the change. And so I'm going to go along with the hypocrisy, too, in order to support him. That seems to be the modus for Vendi. And right. we, the modus for Vendi we're living in now is a very similar one. Who's going to succeed Ramaphosa? I, these faction fights right now strike me as very much a sideshow. Because, because to my mind, and this has been clear since December 2017, Ramaposa's had the, the upper hand. I've, I've, I've never spoken to a credible ANC insider who's had much doubt that, a, that Ramaphosa could hold on to power. The question is, who comes next? And I think the the long-term strategy hopefuls think that Ramaphosa, you know, his signature policy is expropriation without compensation. It gives this huge unfettered whimsical power to the government. But as long as he's around, that power
0: will be reined yeah, in. Then it won't and be it'll bad. it will be limited. He'll be responsible.
1: It'll be yeah. badish, but not too bad. And in the meanwhile, he'll get rid of more and more bad apples and allow more and more good investment opportunities to come along and, put the right people in charge of ESCOM and here and there, and the fundamentals will start getting their act together again, and we'll see GDP growth going into the end of his presidency in 2019, in 2029. And by that time, by the time he's been president for 12 years or 11 years, the country will be solid enough that he can be replaced by someone who is – willing to say what he couldn't say but what he kind of acted out which is you know right. exp- EWC is a bad idea
0: rather and just all be repealed rather, and the, good stuff, come, come and the good stuff will come come
1: to us now that is that's the real political question of the ANC for the in in the macro view if you give this unfettered power what <laughs> happens to the power plays if you give the unfettered power to government, mm. what happens to the power play within the ruling party right. when it's the most States. popular politician resigns? Does does the faction that rises up and wins does that faction fuel itself on the idea that, you know, every ANC president has been a contradiction to the previous one? It's in order for the party to keep surviving, it's always had to say, Look, it's the same party, but it's a whole new era. And the era that yeah. you've had has been soft peddled milk toast, weak, radical economic transformation. You gotta get,
0: yeah, you gotta get and, the real stuff now.
1: And and this is a little bit like the difference between Zuma and Becky in terms of rhetoric. But the fundamental difference is Mbeki had left the country in a more solid position. It was harder for Zuma and his faction to legally steal. (laughs) Be easier for Ramaphosa's successor. And knowing that fact uh, will make it all the more appetizing to get yourself into that position. So I've got no doubt that there are good people in the ANC who hope to succeed Ramaphosa on a more pragmatic platform. But my question is, you know, Ramaphosa is winning against Ace right now. Will he really drive him out? I don't know. We'll know in a month. But is he winning the battle to replace himself by someone who's even better? And Nick, you of all people should know, the worst mistake... Of what well, one of the worst mistakes of Roman uh, dictators, what are they called? Caesar, the, Prince, princeps, 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 is that when they got a little bit old and they started worrying about their legacy, they would sometimes perversely worry that they'd be replaced by someone who's more beloved than them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you also don't want an heir who might say, you know. You're getting a bit old. I think we need to hurry up this whole succession business because I'm eager to uh, to run the show. Uh, you don't want to be pushed out before your time. So you put in a really nice and weak, uh, flabby idiot who's maybe kind of good looking and popular with some people, but ultimately is completely harmless and easy to control. And then you die or you step down or you get thrown out and suddenly the flabby, the feckless idiot is now in charge. And... And everyone is in for a very bad time. <laughs> and,
1: but they miss you. They, oh, it's things, weren't things so much better when
0: when you were yes there. Yes, and that's Exactly. Why. So for your own vanity, you're, 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 you're saved. I mean, this is kind of what happened um, with with uh, Emperor Tiberius. You know, he's paranoid, nasty, killed people, threatened the senators. And then uh, his, his, his heir comes in and I think it's, uh, that was Caligula, right? I'm not confusing, yeah. And then everyone's like, hey, this cute little mascot of the army, Little Boots, because that's what Caligula means. He's going he's gonna to bring in this new popular era, and he lowers taxes, and he does all these wonderful things, and then he starts murdering and raping everyone. And he ends up getting assassinated after three years because he's so much worse. And everyone thinks, man, I wish we had Tiberius back, because he's so <laughs> much better than this lunatic. <laughs> <litigious. laughs> No, I agree that 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 uh, potential does exist, and that's often why very authoritarian regimes um, don't last that long because of this exact problem. You don't ever want a, a a challenger who who can take over from you, so you make sure that anyone who can succeed you is 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 weak and stupid, uh, and then. Uh, you leave the country completely broken and shattered by the time you get chucked out or die or whatever the hell happens to you. And this sounds and also, like a
1: psych- this, I just want to say, this sounds like a psychological reading. I'm not mind-reading Ramaphosa here. I don't, I don't really know what's in his mind. This is just a political science. This is a sort of historic observation. The more right. power, the more arbitrary power you concentrate upon yourself, the harder you make it to then hand over that power so yes. another arbitrary person. And so that's why great leaders set up systems that make themselves to an extent redundant so that they are replaceable. Gives, right. And weak it leaders, another... orally weak leaders, um, accrue arbitrary power, which gives them this great benefit of like, even if they don't do a great job, they then get succeeded by someone who does a worse job, but they seem good by comparison. And it's up to the body politic to see that fact and um, act accordingly.
0: Right. And here's another uh, perverse thing that happens if, say, he does deal very decisively with Ace. And that's the, the way it goes from here. He cuts out all of these people from the R.E.T. faction. He crushes them completely, destroys their careers. He drives them out of business wherever they're in business uh, with corrupt contracts or whatever it is. And he really stamps himself on the party. If he doesn't then reform the system to make it less authoritarian, if he doesn't crack down on corruption on his own side and he's only targeting the RET side, he will have created a precedent where if you're not the faction in power in the ANC, you get destroyed. And that means that the the costs of succession go way up. And that is the perfect recipe for even more drama over a succession battle in ANC. Because then suddenly the only way to protect yourself from being destroyed once you're in the system is to become on the king of the system. Yeah. Or be on the right side. And yeah. then that's when you start to get coups and murders and all those very nasty, very brutal ways of changing the political system because the consequences are dire if you don't win uh it's like that yeah. quote from from the the game of Th- thrones series right mm. uh when you're playing the game of thrones you either win or you die um and <laughs> <laughs> dude <laughs> and, and this and is how
1: it is in municipal KZN.
0: i mean right it is. is it's literally a, already like that in some parts of south africa this is not so, a KZN. And that's because in those places the government kind of enacts because rule of law is so weak, because law and order in general is, is so weak, um, the government has this extraordinary power to abuse, control, strangle people's livelihood, because there's no way to get a job unless you're in the patronage network. Uh the stakes are so high that people get killed all the time. And EWC will turn the government more into what KZN looks like. Yeah. So and I think this sounds like I
1: just I can feel this in myself. Um, the what's the, the uh, great wisdom is don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? You know, what's <laughs> the big news in South Africa? The big news is that finally the Ramaphosa faction is making moves against a public protector who is demonstrably incompetent. Finally, yes. Ace Chashule, who is demonstrably crooked, is being ousted. Finally, uh, you know, Zuma is one step closer to the uh, never-ending journey to uh, accountability. (laughs) Yeah. This is the good news. And here are two uh, young white men from the Institute of Race Relations, sort of one of whom is a legacy DA member, the other whom is sort of an odd character, you know. What? That's understanding. <laughs> Why can't they just be happy? Like, I am happy. I do think it's good news. Um, I just think it's important, to, it's important to understand this difference between policy and personnel. Because so, our, our just, personal just, characters are shaped by the incentives around us. Uh, yeah, I, I really do believe that humans are fallen creatures. And that given the right set of temptations, all of us fall into disgrace and 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 it, it the, the it's the it's the underlying structure that that
0: disturbs me here so so let me put it in this way let me give an analogy of how one can find joy in 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 this in our reading, which is that um if I was alive when World War two ended, I wouldn't have been happy that Soviet armies now occupied half of eastern europe Mm-mm. uh half of europe. But I would be very happy that Hitler had been defeated. Yeah, oh, and that's, Nick, to me, this is a little bit like the same the same wonderful, thing, wonderful, right? Wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> <In laughs> you got both, in, tiny, in tiny a perfect people. world. Yeah. in perfect world, both sides would lose, and we'd have a proper a proper new dawn of of liberal reform, of economic freedom, not in the EFF sense, but in the actual sense of rule of law, of all these good things. But if we can't have that, the next best thing is to see at least one side, lose. <laughs> <laughs> Very
1: good. Very good. I like that. Yeah. It's funny. I've been, I've been reading Richard Stain's Seven Votes.
0: Yes, yes. I, I actually want to read that. That looks fascinating. That's about South Africa's decision to enter World War II. Is that, is that right? Exactly right. And,
1: and you know, the, the sort of tight, the titular idea is that it was a very closely run thing. That it was really down to seven votes. And, and even more bizarrely, I mean, just to give you a sense of how how ridiculous South Africa has been for so long. <laughs> and how slow. Oh, my word. So you've got this problem in 1938 cabinet adopts a resolution that is going to stay out of the war um but by 19 and it's, Herzog is in charge of the government Smuts is his deputy they both get along um uh well enough and and the main thing is to try and keep uh DF Malan and people like him out of power who are mm. who sort of want Afrikaners to dominate English people, whereas Smuts and Herzog uh want a kind of equality or parity. Right. And that and that's an important that's the sort of defining feature of white politics, which is the is the only kind of politics that really gets fully represented at the at the polling station, which is how power gets decided. So between 1938 and 1939, Hitler does some exciting things invades the Czech Republic, uh, that's not looking good, uh, pretty clear <laughs> that he's going to invade Poland, and so there's a big worry that Parliament would have to make a vote uh, about whether South Africa's going to enter World War Two or not, and Parliament has been prorogued, it's on holiday, and so it's not clear that there will be a vote, And so we might just stay out when war is declared by the United Kingdom and her allies like India and Australia, Canada. And that once we've stayed out for a year, it'll just be all the easier to stay out forever. That that'll give the neutral side the upper hand in the argument. Because it's a pretty close run thing between those who want to join the war and those who want to stay neutral. Right.
0: And the first couple of months of the war do not uh, recommend joining on the British side <laughs> because it goes very badly. It goes very badly. But this is before it actually. So the thing is,
1: so the, the thing is, to join the war before it actually starts. But Parliament is not going to meet. But then they realise Nicholas Lorimer that the Senate has been const- has been all the senators have been there for five years, and that their terms are all five years and no election has been scheduled
0: <laughs> whoops
1: <laughs> so you know that uh, feeling of like not, this
0: is not okay
1: <laughs> like you knew you had to hand in that bit of work or homework or whatever you had to do that thing and then you forgot when it was and then you're like oh it's literally today <laughs> It was organizing a vote for the Senate. <laughs> it's amazing right. how useless this country has been for so long. But the Smuts, the Smuts faction was delighted because they, they said, well, we must, we must convene Parliament on an emergency basis to pass an emergency bill to say the Senate can be extended for a year so that they can have next, an election next year because it's going to take us that long right. to organize the election. So, once everyone is gathered up (laughs) in Cape Town, (laughs) there's this interesting matter of World War II. uh,
0: Yay or (laughs) nay?
1: So, not only were the seven votes very close, but we almost didn't have a vote. And the only reason that we did was because (laughs) we were too useless to remember that your term, I mean, literally, it's your only job. It's like you're a senator. You've got to remember that you've got five years on the job before you have to have another election it's the the reasons they were confused are slightly they've got a couple of excuses uh, uh, <laughs> but it's really not much better than that and it does i mean anyway the the reason I'm mentioning this this passage of history is because as you said it's, um it's it's actually looking at World War two through the South African lens is interesting because it makes it even harder than usual to, to to read things in a black and white way. I mean, I do think World War 2 is just about as black and white as it gets morally. Right. I'm not really I'm I'm, I'm sort of a bit of an anti sadist yeah, yeah. in some ways, but you really should kill Nazis in a sort of organized right. and civilized way. Yeah,
0: if you're going to find an example of a just war, it's almost yes. certainly one of the best.
1: Yes. I don't mean Nazis, sort of your neighbors got funny ideas. I mean, when the actual Nazi party is. <laughs> yes. When the
0: National Socialist German Workers Party is rolling tanks into Poland. <laughs> That's when it's appropriate. <laughs> yes. Uh, it is appropriate to go to war.
1: And yes, it's complicated because. Of the alliance with the Soviet Union, which had killed millions and millions of people already, and would kill so many millions more, and yet to do without them wouldn't work. And of course, the war starts with the Soviets and the Nazis being on the same side. Anyway, it's it's. Uh, I, I won't get into the details of how that plays out in South African politics. Maybe if, uh, on a on another podcast, we can we can talk about Richard Zandt's book and that. That fascinating yes. period of history, but it does it does sort of take you to where you where you would most hope for a morality tale right of like we 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 win the you know the vote goes the right way, South Africa really should join the war uh and is everything that comes right. out of that good no there's some bad things that come out of that, and it's very complicated and it's very hard on the brain
0: right. Uh, Not least, not least, just, not just the people getting killed in the war, but also the uh, social and political consequences of that. Mm.
1: In some Um, ways, in some ways, that vote is the Pyrrhic victory. It is, it is, it is sort of the second last big vote in which those who argue against fascism in South Africa win.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then in 1948, you know, and then comes apartheid, which is the tallest dwarf of fascism. A controversial claim. Except which, maybe Austria. Yeah, we have to Nick. This has to be an entire episode. We have to dedicate an entire episode to 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 to, to figuring out who really is the tallest dwarf of fascism. We did it actually
0: uh, very early on, in too quick years ago but we forgot austria yes so like uh, gabriel has this strange position that austria wasn't fascist in the 1930s um and then we argued about a little bit and then we both agreed that firstly we didn't know enough about austria and secondly that we're not entirely both agreed on what fascism is Um, Uh, i mean i like although we're closer on that question than we are on the first
1: one you can see that nicholas is a politician because he says we're agreed that we disagree about what fascism is. <laughs> See, I'm I'm quite certain of what fascism is, and he's quite certain. <laughs> they're well, they're a bit different. Yes, but that really that 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 really is a topic for another day. Um, I suppose I suppose we've 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 gone through the ace thing about as yes. much as we can.
0: Okay. So yeah, no. Definitely. Um, ANC internal politics already takes up half the media. Uh, I think we've we've done our bit to add to that soup. Um, So we were going to talk about a bunch of things today. You wanted to talk about a kind of racial incident thing, but we've only got seven minutes left. Uh, You know, I don't think it's a little bit less. Uh, I don't think it's 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 not it's not yeah it's not feel good. Um, We also could have talked about what (laughs) what's going on in the US with the trial of. What's his name? Derek Chauvin, the police yeah. officer who who knelt on George Floyd. Um, that's also a downer topic, but I think very briefly, let's just say uh, it's unlikely that while trials are supposed to calm people down by revealing the truth and the complexity of any incident, and then coming down with a firm verdict, um, you know, even when a trial is perfectly run, uh, when, when a trial is perfectly run and the jury is is sensible. You can have a very good calming effect on the whole of society yeah, I have a terrible feeling that no matter what the outcome here is or what the likely outcome here is um there will not be a calming effect what what's your what's your yeah take? no no i I, th- I think that's right i
1: think that um, it's uh oh, it's been difficult i mean i I live in a household that has c n n on all the time downstairs so every time i go to the kitchen i see bits of the trial playing and it's fascinating i find it very interesting i i think trying to understand famous life ending moments is is i i i think it's deeply human I think we've been doing this kind of thing for a long time. I think before there was TV and radio and before there were cities, when we were sort of hovering around when people were living in caves, uh, I I assumed that at night people would often tell stories about death Hmm. and they would try to understand it and explore it and sometimes go over the same ground again and again because it is so ineffable it's such a bottomless thing right uh, to die and to 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 rip someone else's life to snuff it out is such a moral absolute um that that it that it's fascinating it's a fascinating topic and it's important to approach it empathetically and it's important to approach it with a with a a keen knows for BS because it's so fascinating, because it's so energizing it's a, it's a it's a little dynamo out of which you can power an agenda which is very nasty yeah.
0: um,
1: and I think in this case there are several and yeah. uh, unfortunately I, I think those agendas, sort of like gyroscopes to stretch the metaphor have taken on their own momentum which have right. somewhat removed themselves from the human beings involved and, and sort right. and turned them into ideas and, and so particular facts, material, concrete physical facts, um, lose their relevance. What really matters is is right. an esteem distribution. Who gets who gets damned, who gets praised, what team right. wins. And I think no court will satisfy the teams. I think they're too great in yeah in, no in momentum that,
0: that's definitely correct um and uh i i hope we're wrong uh, well, we may indeed be wrong i mean we've seen this in the past where you know these trials happen it comes up with a verdict that people think is going to be the end of the world and then it isn't really kind of life goes on and people forget about it in about six months and it's only remembered the next time there's some drama on a similar topic yeah um uh, so honestly I think uh that, that is a possibility and I do hope that's probably of the likely possibilities. I hope that's maybe what happens. Um but we'll see. Uh I do wonder Sorry, whether but there'll just be to, another
1: just hmm. to say, like the, the, the social outcome is part of what's interesting to me. But part of what's interesting to me is I don't I don't know entirely what to make of the case. Like I've got some I've got some strong kind of moral views, but I but those are framing because those aren't about the facts of the case. Those are more about how to approach a case like this. Right. Um, and I've seen in
0: just a little bit of reading I've I'm done I've seen some to learn. very I really
1: am hoping to learn from this. I think if if most people don't learn from this, that is one thing, and that's an important thing to recognise. But I don't want to be one of them. I really I think that this is a it was the most famous murder of twenty twenty, which was itself a strange year where people locked down stuck in front of their screens were more attentive globally and it was an american election year or so in a, in particular to america there, yeah. there, um, for the rest of my life i would like to have some and young people
0: were all at doors <laughs> that yeah. certainly contributed as well
1: i'd really like you know it's i i i suppose what i'm trying to say is i i don't think that the the george floyd uh, Derek Chauvin case is is ever going to be entirely irrelevant, and so I'd like to I'd like to learn as much as I can about it uh, as a as a as 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 one of the human beings that's around at this time, where this is the story about death that has been uh, sort of most discussed when we sit in the cave in the dark and worry about what. Will happen when we close our eyes, one day, forever.
0: That's a very poetic way of putting it, Gabriel. But as I've is, said before, you is, are our resident poet.
1: Every culture has a. It's dude. Death worship is. Look, it's important to. There are many ways. There are many ways to think about death, and in every culture that I've come across, the, the, the sort of murder trial it's a it's a it's an important thing not to fetishize and the and the way not to fetishize it is to is to acknowledge that part of the reason it's so fascinating is because we are all fascinated by our own mortality that's what I'm trying to say I'm trying to limit and and make practical the issue by recognizing that it does have this emotional quality that I think most people don't want to speak to. Most people want to say this matters because of race politics or because of police politics or because of American politics but Frankly, I don't think that gets you all the way to explaining why it yeah, has. Yeah, the
0: secret source to this is that someone is dead.
1: Yeah,
0: right. No, no, yeah, no. Fair enough. That's right. Just, um, I, I put it in a silly way. You, 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 you put it in a, a succinct way. <laughs> I try to do that sometimes. I don't have your 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 poetic skill, but I, I like to make things short. <laughs> Very, very, very precise. It's very good. <laughs> um, right, so let's let's close it there. Um, what uh, do you have any recommendations for for what people should do, read, think about this this Easter weekend? Ooh, when you put it
1: as Easter weekend, I want to go back to my 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 holiday one, which is think about people you love, and and mm. try to spend time with them. Um. Short of that, I really am liking Richard Stan's seven votes. I'm about halfway through uh, It yes. reads very easily if you are looking for something that just reads like a I don't want to say a smooth glass of amarula because it's, <laughs> it's not that smooth <laughs> but uh you know something almost as smooth as a glass of amarula um About a crucial period in South African history. That's a very good one. And uh, and short of that, if you ever want to read an essay, I've been going back over my George Orwell essays. Oh, it's such so good. It's such a pleasure to read. Such an incisive and brilliant and courageous mind, Mm -hmm. who who's so succinct, Nick. Who doesn't really colour in.
0: No, I. I, he, uh, he
1: does the outline, and you see the perfect shape of of a of a human, and of a society,
0: and of an idea. I, I yeah, no, I, I I do I do agree with you. Um, I I remember very fondly the time when you when you uh when you gave me the uh the nationalism essay of history. to read. It's a great essay. That's really good stuff. Um, hmm, you made me think of something. Uh. Let me just check its name. Apologies for that. Um, yeah, another interesting writer who I'm quite interested in. I have no idea what your thoughts on him are, um, but there's a great YouTube channel which does which which animates some of his lectures. and that's C.s. Lewis. It's an interesting chap, um, probably the most famous Christian writer and apologist of the last I don't know at least maybe a hundred years, maybe longer. Um, but he writes on a variety of topics that aren't strictly related to Christianity, and he gave lectures on things, and there's a there's a YouTube channel called C.S. Lewis Doodle, um, which just does nice little voiceovers of, of his, uh, you know, various views on things. And I find them very interesting, uh, particularly his one on why he's not a pacifist. Um, you may come to different conclusions, but they are pretty well made and pretty thought-provoking, uh, whether you agree with them or not. Uh, so I'd recommend that, C.S. Lewis Doodle, on YouTube. Um, I'd also recommend, there's a, a channel I'm pretty sure I've recommended before, it's called Voices of the Past, also on YouTube. And they have a video uh, called First Non-Muslim European Description of Mecca 1503. And it's about an Italian who went undercover into Mecca um, in, the, in the 16th century. And it's just written in that sort of very... Informal style that older histories sometimes are, and it's just kind of interesting to sort of think mm. about this mm. this place, um, a place which uh, non-Muslims are not allowed to visit. So uh, it's quite mm. fascinating to get from that. That gives well. it that gives it a delicious sort of tentative,
1: forbidden fruit flavour. Indeed, yeah.
0: Um, and so this this just, guy went undercover, and he also boasts about. People wanting him to stay there forever and things like that. So it's, it's the character of the writer is also part of the fun. Uh-huh. I
1: like it. I like it. So, what what's it called again?
0: First non-Muslim ex- uh, European description of Mecca, 1503, by the channel on YouTube, Voices of the Past. Very good. They've got lots of other great videos, but that's just a recent one they've done.
1: I like it. And I will say, I, I read a lot of uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity uh, when mm. I was at university. Which was a sort of, I don't know, a, a very, yeah, very moving book, v- shaped an important part of my life, in terms mm. of, or uh, yeah, getting a quite a quite a soulful, sophisticated, um, way of thinking about, uh, being a Christian in a, in a in a in a contemporary world where. Mm where there's lots of interesting challenges that are unlike um, those around at the time of the religion's inception. Right. Um, and, and and really sensitive and smart, you know, which is a nice combination.
0: Yes, no, very much so. And in fact, I, I like his, his writings on serious topics far more than I like um, his novel series, which is The Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. Um, that's a discussion for another day.
1: My, my fiancé yeah. will will slit your throat, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> as will my nephew, who's seven years old and swears by the Chronicles of Narnia.
0: I read every single one of them, and on reflection, they're not as great as I think I first thought they were. Anyway, on that controversial point, uh, let us close off. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Yeah, we hope you have – I don't know when this is going to go up, hopefully on Easter Friday, but uh, – I hope you have a wonderful long weekend and a wonderful week after that. And, uh, yeah, keep the flags liberty flying, everyone. Indeed, respect.